You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're down in Biloxi right now. State winning 11-5 last night over Texas Tech. Game two set for 3 o'clock today. It's been moved up to 3 o'clock. And Charlie Winfield, let's look back at last night, man. We needed that. Oh, we did. And not just a win, but how about the outing by Parker Stinnett? That was big. So many great things about that game. You know, Parker Stinnett. He just threw strikes last night. I thought he located his breaking ball extremely well. Chris Lamonas talked about it after the game last night. He was locating okay with a fastball, too. And that's the thing that we've seen out of Parker the last few outings. It's almost like he's been able to control the secondary pitch, his curveball, even better than his fastball. And last night, Texas Tech just couldn't see it. I thought that was exactly the case last night. There were a couple of situations where he fell behind 2-0, and missing with fastballs, and then comes back what you think is a fastball count and throws the breaking ball for a strike. It it almost looked like, particularly in the first two innings, that he was more comfortable throwing the breaking ball for a strike than the fastball. It's almost like pitching backwards. And how would you feel if you're at the plate, if, if you realize that he's not really on with his fastball? It's almost like that's the pitch that's going to catch you off guard because I'm maybe sitting on curveball, and even though I can't hit it, then boom, here comes a fastball at 93. It's completely opposite from your usual mindset. And then you go and you start to look at the question of why do you stick with Parker Stinnett after a bad outing? And here's what you see. 11 and two-thirds innings this year, he struck out 24. There's a lot of swing and miss. That's better than two strikeouts an inning, even by my math. And so you say, all right, where does that rank? Um, Preston Johnson has struck out 23 and 16 and a third. Landon Sims, 27 and 15 and two-thirds. Right now, Parker Stinnett, your highest strikeout per inning pitch guy on your staff by a significant distance. All right, let's look back at last night offensively. And Texas Tech jumps out to a one nothing lead at the top of the third inning. We come back with a nine-run bottom of the fourth inning. It was all started by some walks. We had some good at-bats. We had some good takes. Didn't chase pitches out of the zone, especially deep in counts. And then, man, how about Hunter Hines? That dude right now, that was a line drive shot to center field. I didn't see exit velo on that, but he was three for four in the game last night, had four RBIs, had a home run, and, man, just hit some just I mean, just some shots last night. And how about this? Hunter Hines now hitting three seventy eight, highest batting average on your team. Legion average and home runs. I know it's early, but that's a good start for a young guy. Cam James went two for four in the game last night. Tanner Leggett had a couple hits in the game last night. We started uh, Davis Mesh at second base. We brought Jaeger in later in that game. But, man, I tell you what, that nine-run fourth inning was big. Texas Tech got a run back in the top of the sixth. We were able to answer last night. And, Charlie, that was one of the things that we did last night that we haven't done really in a while and that's the answer. They scored a run in the sixth. We scored a run in the seventh. They scored two in the eighth. We came back with another another run in the eighth inning. A big win 
for Mississippi State against Texas Tech. So a big one today at 3 o'clock, game two of this two-game midweek set down here in Biloxi. We're at the Margaritaville. And once again, we're brought to you by our friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. Farm Bureau, agents in all counties in the state of Mississippi. You just can't go wrong with a great customer service from our great friends at Farm Bureau. When we come back, we'll talk to the men's tennis coach, the head men's tennis coach at Princeton. Billy Pate will join us on the other side of the break. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the roving Farm Bureau studios at Margaritaville in Biloxi, Mississippi State, getting set to play game two of the uh, two-game set with Texas Tech after the Dogs won 11-5 last night. And time now for a conversation with the head men's tennis coach at Princeton University. Of course, the Bulldogs playing Princeton this weekend in baseball. And he's a Startwell native, Billy Pate, in this conversation Brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, made right here in the state of Mississippi on Highway 49 down in Florence, Mississippi. They've got the jalapeno cheddar. They've got the original. Just everything they make is great. Saw Henry Cooper at the ballpark last night. And just a great, great product. And, of course, they have the butcher shop right there on Highway 49. Just a perfect place to get all your stuff and all your needs for your next tailgate. And that's our good friends at Country pleasing sausage so let's talk to the head men's tennis coach at princeton university he's a startwell native of mississippi state graduate billy pate joins us hey coach i know you're getting ready for a tournament out in arizona appreciate you taking your time hey it's my pleasure bar great to see you guys today thanks for uh, having me on it's quite a surprise absolutely of course we're playing princeton this weekend in baseball have you given kind of the the restaurant guide to the to the baseball guys yeah, you know, Coach Bradley, um, he's been around. You know, he played in the in the majors, and he's traveled all over. And uh, he's quite familiar with, uh, the, you know, Starkville. And uh, he's been to Little, little Dewey's. Uh, he's looking forward to that one. So I've got to give him some some uh, other recommendations. He was asking for them. So anybody wants to share those with him. Uh, I haven't been in a few years, but that would be one of my hot spots if I come back for sure. <laughs> All right, now coaching at Princeton, but let's start before that. You're an old Mississippi State guy. Talk about how you made it to Mississippi State and and being, you know, kind of from the area, what got you to, you know, Starville's not known as a hotbed of tennis, but what got you uh, into tennis and then at Mississippi State? Well, that's a, that's a lot lot to unpack there, Charlie, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it's sort of an anomaly to be a tennis player in, in, in Mississippi and be a standout player and 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 obviously the it's hard to develop. And looking back, it, you know, I, I wish I'd done different things. But we all wish we'd done different things in terms of our progression. And but I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And um, it, it was really fun, and uh, I enjoyed it. I think a lot of my classmates didn't understand why I didn't play other sports as much. You know, it's sort of a year-round endeavor, just like maybe golf is um, if you're going to do it at a serious level. But you know, I never I, I did think about maybe uh, training in Florida or something like that, moving. But I, I stayed and. And then uh, when, when it came time to pick uh, universities, I, um, you know, my roots originally were in Arkansas and I, I was going to maybe consider Arkansas or um, some other places, but I was going to stay in the Southeast. And uh, 
you know, ended up just uh, staying home at, at Starkville, and I'm glad I did. I mean, had some great memories there. I, you know, I had way too much fun, that's for sure. You know, I probably should have been a little bit more serious about my studies. Um, my guys asked me all the time at Princeton, if, you know, how, how smart I was. I said I wasn't very smart, even at Mississippi State, but uh, we had some good students around us and, and great athletes, but it was, a, it was a fun time and a great era back then. Of course, you play for Andy Jackson, right? Andy Jackson. Yeah, yeah John Chris recruited me. Um, and a funny story, we, we actually played Middle Tennessee State last week at the Blue Gray in Montgomery, Alabama. And I got to see John Chris. He's a he's a volunteer assistant. He's running their tennis center there in uh, Murfreesboro. And I uh, got to coach against him for the first time. And he was the one that recruited me. I had him my freshman year. And then for my last three years, I had Andy Jackson. And um, and then we, we kept getting better. And, you know, I, when I left, and my senior year, we played for the uh, SEC title in 91 against Georgia and um, and gosh they were getting good that was sort of the start of the French invasion uh, we had two French guys uh, they came in that uh, January that really uh, set a tone for the for that decade and Andy's um, success there which was which is really great to see tennis coach and a tennis player but you followed baseball closely and and were pretty connected to that baseball team kind of one of our golden ages of baseball it was it really was that was fun I, so I roomed with John Harden who was the uh, uh, the the lefty uh, slow balling pitcher that would come in in the in middle relief and and just he seemed like his arm never got tired right he would come in and maybe even in the, the third inning if the, the starter got chased and uh, would just pitch and he would pitch on no day's rest and was a, a huge part of that team's success and it was funny as I was getting into athletics you know I was a great training ground and you know the guys that uh, clearly with John Cohen now, you know, transitioning from a coach to a, you know, athletic director there at Mississippi State, of course, Scott Strickland and, and all these great guys that have come through. It was a great training ground to get into um, sports. And I always studied, you know, I, I will say academically, what I was trying to do is really be have a career in sports. So I didn't think I was going to be in coaching. I will say that. But um, so I was actually doing a little, I was dabbling with sports writing and I was a communications major. Uh, of course, I, I shared classes with Scott and and uh, John Cade and, and many others, but um, it was fun. So I was, I think I covered that 92 NCAA regional in Starkville that, that um, and, but I covered them for the Tulsa world for Oklahoma. They didn't send a reporter. So I was actually a reporter for Oklahoma's team. And so, and then of course John was pitching. So it was a little bit of conflict of interest, you know, but uh, I did it, made a little money. And, um, and I remember being in a, I think it was a, the old bully three. To, that I, don't know, I don't think that bar still exists, but uh or maybe it was a Regal Inn or whatever it was back then. And um, and one guy finally, you know, asked me one night after a few beers, like, hey, what are you, you going to do after college? I'm like, well, I think I want to be a major college athletics director, you know. And I didn't have the right – back then we weren't planning to do that. Nobody really talked about that. But but I did – that's initially what I was thinking. And then I went to Atlanta after I graduated and, and sort of got into sports in a variety of areas. Um, had a chance to even be a ten, tennis agent and uh, – did a lot of different things, uh, was in public relations, wanted to work in professional sports, but just kind of found my way into coaching. And then, gosh, I really fell in love with it. And with all the things going on in college athletics today, I, I value what like a, a John Cohen does and these guys do at the highest level. But I don't know if I'd want that much going on, but it's it's uh, it's great. And I, you know, coaching is, as you guys know, and I'm sure you've coached at some level, it's, it's, it's just so rewarding and so fun. And it's been a, it's been a great ride. Now in your ninth year as a head tennis coach at Princeton, those guys coming down here this weekend, what's the main difference in playing in Olympic sports in the Ivy League compared to what uh, what they're going to see this weekend playing baseball in the Power Five? 
Yeah, I think it's a little bit, I, I don't think uh, Coach Bradley might be saying, it's probably a little bit more challenging for some sports. Um, you know, tennis is almost like, when I when I left, I actually left after 10 years at Alabama to go to Princeton. And it, and I would say, you know, it depends on what, the way you look at it. It was just a different cultural experience, but it was more like a lateral move. And, and you know, it's a little bit different because we can compete with um, many of the SEC teams and the Power Five teams. And I think it's a little bit more challenging baseball because obviously you don't have, uh, you know, indoor baseball up there. I mean, they're, they're, they share a facility where our indoor tennis is uh, behind us where they have batting cages and so forth. But as you know, with the winter weather, it's tough for them to get outside, even catching, you know, fly balls in the sunny outfield with some wind. That's a little bit of an adjustment for these teams from the north. And um, but, but Coach Bradley does a great job of getting down and, and I think uh, it's a great experience for them. I mean, they, they, they would like to have some success. Of course, you never know in baseball. You know, clearly, if you have a, a pitcher that's hot and, and you make some plays, you can stay in the game um, and you can beat almost anybody. But, um, you know, I think they it's a great experience for them to come down. They know all the history. Uh, I know Coach Bradley's talking about Left Field Lounge. I don't, I don't know if we still call it that. But I think we've changed the name. But, but that electric atmosphere, obviously seeing what happened last year with the magical run for – for uh, Mississippi State was so so great to see, and I'm I'm sure the guys are very grateful to to come down and, and play and, and soak up that atmosphere and and get a taste of SEC. I know they went to LSU and played there a couple of years ago, so they they they've been exposed to that. But I know it will be a challenge, just you know, from an outdoor perspective, early in the season for these guys, uh, and obviously uh, playing you know a defending national champion. But I, I know they're grateful for it and looking forward to the competition for sure. We keep up with recruiting in. College sports, of course, that seems to be just a sport unto its own in the Southeastern Conference. But I look at your roster in tennis that you've got there at Princeton, and I see Greece, Indonesia, Australia a couple of times, Mexico, the United Kingdom. You know, in baseball, you talk about coaches, they go over to Atlanta, they go down to Florida, they go out to Oklahoma for a couple of events. How do you go about trying to recruit in college tennis with the significant international emphasis uh, or involvement, at least, that we seem to see today? Yeah, it, obviously it's a global sport. You know, a lot of people don't realize this. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, upset my, my my close friends who follow college football, basketball, baseball. But, it, you know, tennis is like number two in popularity in the world outside of soccer in most countries. So it's quite popular. I mean, you know what, I mean, Matt Roberts has done there at Mississippi State. He He's done such a great job of not only going and sourcing those great players in especially Europe and, and helping them to achieve the success, but also keeping them there, especially with the transfer portal. You know, we don't typically that that's a whole new ball game, right? In college athletics, we don't really have to worry about that. We we can't accept transfers, athletic transfer to Princeton really, and, and we don't really have guys leaving once they get in because it's so hard. But um, you know, it's a little unusual for us to have that many international guys on the current roster is the most we've had in my ten years at Princeton. Um, but we, we, we normally recruit domestically, but the guys we do get, um, and I'm, I'm not saying they come to us, but you hear about them because obviously we have to make sure they're going to have the SAT or ACT and the, uh, the grades to get into Princeton. Um, and it, it's hard. It's a heavy lift, right? And, uh, but the guys we find, especially the ones from, um, international countries, they usually go to the best high schools in those countries or some of the best students in those countries, as well as some being the best players. Um, so it's just fascinating. And, so I think it's almost a little bit um, more challenging for Matt's job uh, there, uh, you know, leaving the tennis program at Mississippi State in terms of, you know, he's got a great culture, but he's got to keep doing that. And um, and he's recruiting against kind of the similar level type um, teams that are going after the same thing. We, we have a very unique niche, so the guys kind of stick out. So we may be 
only look at 20 guys per year that we know that we want from a level standpoint that also can get in. So it's a little bit more of a finite recruiting. But then we have to beat like a Stanford or a Duke or Harvard, um, maybe sometimes a Michigan or Virginia to get them some of the best academic schools. Coach, you talk about the popularity of the sport of tennis, and one of the things that you know, I've talked with my kids about you know, tennis and golf and things of that nature that you can play the rest of your life, but getting involved in the sport of tennis, what would you say is, is kind of the, the perfect age to get a kid going, and what do you say, you know, what's the, the core things that they need to learn, say if you're seven, eight, nine years old, to get them involved in the game? Yeah, I got started really late. And, you know, there's a big argument, and you guys know this, working in college athletics, like, it, what, you know, talking about early sports specialization, like, when, when should you start that? Or should you play other sports? You know, should you be a multi-sport athlete? And, and, and tennis is a funny sport because you could take, we always talk about this in our, you know, when we're traveling, our guys will, will say, like, a 12-year-old, you know, girl who's nationally ranked could beat LeBron James in tennis. And you, you, you talk about that, you're like, that's really weird. But then you, it makes sense, right? So it is about athleticism, but it's not necessarily about being the best athlete. There's a lot of things involved. I think um, getting a kid involved, maybe, you know, tracking the ball, just like it would in baseball, you know, hitting a ball, making contact, moving at a young age, and then maybe transitioning when they're, I would say if they really want to be serious about it and play like at an SEC or Power 5 caliber, even Ivy League, you know, starting at age 10 really seriously. You know, I started a little bit later. I really started, you know, 11 or 12 before I was hitting my first ball. But I played a lot of other sports. But um, it just really depends. But then at that point, you really got to be focused on uh, getting the competition. That's, you know, one of the challenges in Mississippi, the high school you know, we really don't recruit kids that play a lot of high school tennis. A lot of our kids we recruit are actually online school and, and they're traveling and playing international tournaments. So I, I it's, it's a really tough job. You know, it's a tough sport, you know, because you have to travel a lot. You have to spend a lot of money. Um, it is challenging. But I would say, but, but, you know, the good thing is, especially on the women's side with eight full scholarships, you know, there's only four and a half on the men's side of scholarship schools. Is, is there's a lot of scholarships available and it could be a smaller school that they may not be thinking about that they could get um, a scholarship or even walk on. So. I think, you know, there's a spot for just about everybody if they're playing a decent level of high school tennis and they're really ambitious about it. So it just depends on the level you're trying to uh, achieve. But um, I think it's a great sport. And, and as you mentioned, the global factor, the people we meet, you know, the people come across, the people I get to know globally and, um, you know, and, and the people at Princeton and our, our tennis alums are, are so, you know, involved and engaged and uh, obviously successful. And so it, it creates a really good mentoring for our guys who are, if they don't go play professionally after, which most want, obviously, they'll, they'll go into jobs. Maybe it's on Wall Street. They have a lot of connections there with some of our tennis alums who work there that help them, um, you know, get those jobs. And I think it's a big part about tennis is the connections you make. You, you bring up an interesting point. One of the things that Bart and I talk about all the time is the role of college baseball and guys who want to be professionals. There's always this debate, do you go pro out of high school? Do you leave early? Do you finish out your time? What is the, the spot right now for guys who want to be pro tennis players? What role does college tennis have, and, and where do you see it headed? Well, that, Charlie, funny you bring that up. I remember the days, even under Coach Polk back then when I was in school, and you would have guys that, you know, you would almost find too good of a class that they were good enough where they would get drafted, and, and they had to make that decision right to either go pro then, not go to college, or maybe turn after their junior year, I, I believe. With tennis, the one good thing that's happened is you look at a guy like John Isner, who's been, 
you know, top 10 on the tour for many years. You know, he's probably kind of the twilight of his career, but he played all four years of Georgia. When I was coaching Alabama, we played against, you know, John's unique specimen. He's like 6'11 with a massive serve, but he went all four years of Georgia. And um, the thing is, it's happened. Um, the average age on the professional tour for men's tennis is uh, top 100 is um, 26 years old. It's much older. When Becker won Wimbledon at 17 and 85, I think it was, I mean, that's just not going to happen anymore. Um, and the guys have to physically be super strong and mentally developed and, and kind of gone through the rigor. So college tennis is a great training ground. And that's what a lot of these uh, SEC coaches, even even at us in the Ivy, you're getting some kids who understand that even if it's an Ivy education, you can go four years. We had a guy that played all four grand slams, graduated a few years ago, got to number two in college tennis. And, and now he's, uh, you know, working in the financial, you know, sector and doing quite well. He's at a Harvard MBA. So you can do it all. I mean, uh, but it, it's challenging. And, but I think there's a really good pathway to go to college and play professional tennis. But it's just probably some of the countries are, they're, they're trying to fund the kid, maybe their federation and they'll maybe perhaps cut funding if they go to a U.S. college. They don't really want them to in some of those countries. So it's sort of a little bit of a battle for a lot of these coaches to get them out of their country and from their private coach who's making money on, you know, working with them to get them in a college program. But if they can, you know, actualize all these um, great opportunities in, in college, especially with the Power Fives are offering with now with NIL and um, the resources, support, coaching, travel, all the stuff you get. Because if you get on in tennis on your own, you're paying for all of that unless you have a sponsor. And you're not getting a sponsor unless you're incredibly strong. So college is the best route for just about, you know, 99.9% of the kids playing. So they, they should all be in college, in my opinion. Billy, hey, appreciate you joining us. Hey, Mississippi State guy, Startwell High School grad, head tennis coach at Princeton, Proud of you as a Mississippi State graduate, and appreciate you taking the time with us. Princeton State this weekend, I know this is a special weekend for you. Yeah, I, I wish I were there to, to hang out and, um, you know, have some of the great food coming from the smokers in the outfield and uh, cheer on uh, both teams. Uh, so I wish the best for both teams, and, uh, yeah, I wish you guys all the best, and hopefully I'll make it back down there for a tennis reunion here uh, maybe this fall. And that's head coach Billy Pate of the Princeton Tigers men's tennis team out in Arizona right now getting set for a tournament this weekend. And, Charlie, that was pretty cool, man. It's it's amazing how small the sports world is. And it's still kind of hard to wrap your mind around that a guy from Startville High School played at Mississippi State is the head men's tennis coach at Princeton. Yeah, I'd give Billy a hard time. But out of all the people I knew growing up, I wouldn't have necessarily pegged Billy to be the one to crack the Ivy League. He told you about his grades in college. He did, doesn't like to be asked about them necessarily. But, man, Billy Pate, one of the all-time good dudes. We're going to have a bunch of listeners who know Billy Pate, and that's going to be one of those, wow, I hadn't talked to that guy in 20 years kind of things. He hadn't changed. I mean, we'll get him on the phone. He's like the same guy, just one awesome dude. And, by the way, you know where he coached part? He was an assistant coach at the University of Notre Dame. Oh, was he really? Before being the head coach at Alabama. Is that where he figured it all out? Look, man, a lot of great ideas are born in South Bend. He did not give off the pretentiousness that I've been – well, I don't mean mean to say that about you. Go on. Go on. Okay. Hey, and that conversation with Billy Pate brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi. You can't go wrong with anything you get, any of the lines of sausage you get 
at Country Pleasing Sausage. So, Charlie and I will come back. We'll talk to the former head baseball coach at Mississippi State, Ron Pohl, from right here in Margaritaville on the coast in Biloxi, if we can get him off that uh, motorcycle uh, ride down in the game room. And so he'll be up here in just a few moments, and we'll talk to Coach Ron Pohl right after this on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Great conversation with our good friend Billy Pate, the head men's tennis coach at Princeton University. And it's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish that you can possibly want. And it's produced right here in the state of Mississippi, over in Itabina. There are a lot of great grocery stores throughout the southeast. They're also in some fantastic restaurants around the south, one of those being Georgia Blue. Georgia Blue, of course, new to Startwell, still new to Startwell. They're in Madison, Flowood, Brookhaven, Startwell. Of course, they've got the Georgia Blue Bakery in Brandon, but they make that great catfish. And you get it on the blue plate on Friday. They also have that Bayou catfish on the menu that is absolutely out of this world. And that's at our good friends at Georgia Blue. And joined now by the former head baseball coach at Mississippi State, Coach Ron Polk. Coach, you on the radio broadcast last night, 11-5. to 5. That was a good win for us. Yeah, the ninth spot was really nice. Of course, we also had the same thing happen. Uh, the second game in Tulane, we hit a, we had a lot, a lot of runs in, I think, the second inning and didn't hold up. But thankfully, uh, we got good pitching last night from, uh, of course, our starter, Parker Stinnett. And then Brandon came in, and then we finished up with a really good freshman in, in, uh, in, uh, in Khan. Uh, what's his first name? Pico. 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 How can I forget Pico? What a nice kid he is. So, uh, yeah, I've been on the road for the – the entire swing, and we can win the night. It'll be 3-3. I don't think that's what the coaches and the players wanted to, to have in this swing, but, you know, 4-2 and two would have been really good. 5-1, and one, great. 6-0 and oh would be unbelievably good. But uh, to come back with a 3-3 after, you know, not playing extremely well the first couple games that we played uh, not after, we, after we lost to Southern Miss and Pearl. But it's just been a long road trip, and I think most of the boys and coaches would be happy to get back and get home and put the white uniforms on and get Princeton this weekend. A lot of times we think, particularly in the major leagues, if a guy doesn't work out as a starter, you kind of they use sometimes the phrase relegated to the bullpen, almost like you're demoted to the bullpen. Last night, Parker Stinnett, I thought, pitched better as a starter than we've seen him pitch out of the bullpen. Do you see guys? Have you seen guys in your career that or just better getting a clean start than coming out later? Yeah, Parker's only had one start. He had one start last year. I saw on the on the stats when I was preparing for the show yes, last night. And I think Parker's going to be better as a reliever because he's somewhat of a four-pitch guy. And I think come, coming in relief, he probably thought he had to strike out somebody or just uh, make things happen. And, and basically his, his, his history with us so far has been a little bit of uh, a lot of good stuff, wipeout stuff but not enough control. And so maybe I thought last night, I thought he was under control, breaking ball, head strike all over it. Uh, he basically pitched last night, and sometimes the release you don't pitch, you just try to strike somebody out, especially if you're doing it in the late in the ball game and you got a runner at third base. And I think Barker's probably going to be more prone to be a starter. And, of course, with the injuries that we've had right now and some of our pitchers, I think he's going to get more opportunities. Nine runs last night. You've always talked about hitting being contagious. 
Now, of course, it all started with just some patience at the plate and getting on base with walks and hit batsmen. But then you start thinking about Hunter Hines. Man, I tell you what, that guy for a freshman has got a quick bat for a big man. You know, it reminds me a lot of the start that uh, Raphael Palmero had for us as a freshman. You know, he's built a lot different than Raphael, but this kid can flat out hit. The thing is, his hits are sharp hits. There's nothing cheap about his hits, and he showed a home run at Tulane that uh, I think it went 422 feet. So he's got a lot of whip in his bat, and he's patient, somewhat patient at the plate. He's going to get better, but, you know, I don't know what position he's going to be long-term. I think it's going to be at first base, but he's going to be in the lineup with Mississippi State for at least three years. I, I hope we can get four out of him, but probably three with the draft and see what happens. But, uh, no, that inning started last night with, I think, a hit batter, two walks, and that's how you have big innings. You know, it's called freebies. And from that point in time, we had guys on base, and a couple times this past week on the road, we have delivered with guys on base, but it seemed like everybody came up, put the ball in play, and found some real estate, and we had the beginning. You mentioned kind of having some openings, people having a chance to get more time on the mound. People were going to, have to find some innings some places. We talked about Pico Khan a minute ago, left-hander, young guy, but you know, doesn't seem to run it up there as fast as some other guys, but the guy just seems to get out. So what do you, what do you like about Pico? Well, really being a left-handed, you don't have to be 92, 93 to be successful, especially against left-handed hitters. But, I mean, he's nasty against left-handers because he's got that wipeout, big old sweeping curveball that if they don't chase, they're going to swing and miss on it. So, uh, But it looks like he has great composure, great demeanor out there, big old tall, lanky left-hander. And, and 88, 89 is going to work for him as long as he has control. But everybody's looking for that wipeout slider or wipeout curveball, curve and they might, he may be able to sneak fastballs by guys and advantage counts to him as a pitcher. You talked a moment ago about the draft. And Charlie and I have talked several times about you know guys that we have lost to the draft out of high school. Just looking back, just kind of going away from this year's team and thinking back to guys that you may have signed that didn't show up to campus. Well, I remember one year we lost three first-rounders. Uh, Adam Heisdu from Cincinnati, a boy from Texas, and it was someone else. That's just so long ago, but that's just the part of we have to deal with. And I think my next life, I want to be a football coach or basketball coach or a hockey coach or something like that, where if you have a good recruiting year, you can feel good about it all the way through, a, a, all the way through the recruiting process because you're not going to get hurt. But there were times, and I'm sure Chris Lamonis is going to go through it too, that you have a great recruiting year, and then one day you get just about wiped out and because of the draft. But it used to be unlimited rounds, then they went to 50, then they went to, well, then they went to five that one one year. Now, now they're back to 20. Who knows what they're going to do? They moved the draft back to, uh, you know, later in the summer. I know a lot of good things about that and bad things about it. Being a Cape Cod League, it, it hurt us badly last uh, summer because we brought in some draft-eligible pitchers, and they ended up getting drafted. Plus, we lost 12 of our better players to USA Baseball. So I'm not, I've am not. i been through the draft process not only as a college baseball coach but also as a summer coach. Looking back, I mean, I think of like Jay Bell, Pat Borders, and looking at some of those guys in the careers that they had in Major League Baseball. Which one of those do you think that, man, if you could have got to campus, they would have been an unbelievable college player? You know, both Jay and Pat are uh, managing in professional baseball now. Jay has that Madison, Alabama team, that double-A team over in Madison, Alabama, and Jay's been with the Phillies. I mean, uh, Pat's been with the Phillies. But, uh, yeah, you always say, boy, I wish they decided to come to school, and some of them have regrets that they didn't. I remember Reed Canaeus, who, you know, we thought was a really good sign for us, um, engineering major, 13th round, 
He upped his he upped his bonus higher than anybody else in the draft because he pitched so well in a tournament up in South Dakota that you know you just at you're at the whims of the draft. We lost Mitch Moreland because he uh, he didn't come back for his final year because he was in the home run contest up at Cape Cod League and I was there and the Texas Rangers uh, scouting director was there and he said why why can't we sign this kid and the scout said he wants so much money. And the and the and the, and the scouting guy, the head of the 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 draft said, "Give it, what give him what he wants. We want him." And worked out good for Mitch, but you know it's just uh, some good decisions, bad decisions, but money becomes a factor, no question about it. So many guys, it seems now, you end up with draft eligible sophomores. It seems like we see more and more players coming out of high school, maybe a year later, staying back a year, and then you have to defend the draft a couple of more times, or at least one more time than you normally would. Um, how much pressure do you see that put on these guys who are like draft eligible sophomores? Do, do you notice sometimes they kind of almost seem to be pressing a little bit early in the year? Oh, I'm sure they are. You know, they play for the draft, they play for their team, they play for themselves. But it's amazing how many draft eligible guys are around now. I think some of these guys get redshirted in kindergarten. I don't know, <laughs> but they seem to be <laughs> older than they used to be. But <laughs> you know, the draft has an effect on players. There's no question about it because that's what their dream is to sign a professional baseball contract and fight their way to the to the major leagues. And uh, <clears throat> but uh, we deal with it, and uh, you know, football deals with it now also a little bit more than used to. And basketball deals with some kids decide to sign out of high school. But but, you know, that's uh, that's what the state of uh, athletics is right now. So uh, are you going to go to college? Are you going to go to pros? And, you know, the NIL might help a little bit if it, you know, if it does continue doing what I think it's going to do. But then again, I think the NIL is going to be very detrimental long-term to college athletics. Coach, we haven't talked to you on air. Well, I talk to you every day. But we haven't talked on air since last year. And I know last year seems like a long time ago now. But winning a national championship and you were able to come over and experience that in Omaha, how how special was that to you to be able to come back and be there when when we win the national championship? Well, I'm glad I did. I was out in the Cape, and you know, I kept telling myself, you know, they keep at calling and asking if I'm coming out, and I said, well, let's see how we're doing because I hate to leave a ball club right in the middle of the summer, and I knew if I went out there, it's a day out and day back and watch two or three ball games, so I'm gone for five good days. But the general manager there and the guy I worked with said, hey, if you feel you want to go, you go. And so we beat Texas when Braylon Skinner stole second base and, and then Tanner Lager got the base hit. And it was a rain delay. I got back to the cottage, I think, around midnight, and I decided, hey, I got to go. And so I got a 6 o'clock flight out of Provincetown, Rhode Island, and went back there. And I'm glad I did because, you know, at that time we, we still had to play – had a day off, and then we had to play Vanderbilt. And uh, so I said, hey, maybe this is our year. And got a chance to watch it, uh, and I enjoyed the experience, watched, watching the guys dogpile and went to the hotel after the game after you work yourself through that mob scene in that hotel <laughs> and try to get through. I had a couple of people, kind of not security people, some people, what you call handlers, just uh, putting your head down and get to the elevators. And uh, so I survived and got a chance to shake all the kids' hands and the coaches' hands, and it was a it was a great experience for me. You know, since I came in ninth, well, December 1975, it's been a long time. We came close, and uh, in fact, we came close a lot of times, just losing in regionals. You know, the last game of the regionals, so we could have been in Omaha even more times. But every time we went back there, we just didn't come back with the with the trophy, and now we have it. Coach, I was looking last night. 
16 different position players that Mississippi State has started this season. Can you think of a time that you ever did that in your time at Mississippi State? No, you know, with limitations of scholarship, 11.7, we don't have the, you know, the lottery-based scholarships. I always had to invest a lot of money in the in more talented players, and we had to use depth as basically walk-ons. I mean, that's consistently or red shirts that developed into pretty good players. So I never had, uh, you know, 17, 18 position players of somewhat equal ability, and that's a little little tough time right now for the coaching staff because they want to keep each kid sharp they want to keep each kid happy and and because of that they're just feeding their we're feeling their way through the early part of the season I think they would love to have a set lineup but if they do that then it's going to hurt the feelings of some kids that probably feel like they can can play with the ones that are starting and so that's uh I think Chris Lamontis does a great job of communicating to the kids what he's all what he's trying to do and trying to win some ball games but at the same time you know he's going to have to start making maybe some really tough decisions because you just can't continue to have a kid go up uh, you know in a ball game hadn't played in a week and if he goes over four he knows he's not going to play for the next couple of weeks hey let me ask you this question before we let you go I've kind of always wanted to know this, and I yep. haven't asked you this in the office. When yep. you were growing up, did you have, a, like, a team that you followed? When you were growing up in, in the Phoenix area, who, who did you follow and what players? You know, I think back to, you know, when I was a kid growing up and, you know, thinking about some of the – I was a Cubs fan, which, you know, we've won one world championship since I've been alive and since anybody's been alive, to be honest with you. But, I mean, I started thinking about players that I followed, baseball cards that I had, but growing up as a kid, who did you follow as a team and as a player? Well, I was born in Boston for the first seven years, and I do vaguely remember going to Fenway Park with my dad and my brother. And we always, uh, when we did go, uh, it uh, we were in left field. Not not that they don't have the the you know, left field. The ball. monster. The monster was there, but not the seating up there. Right. And Ted Williams was the left fielder, and so. Uh, you know, I, I know I know he was a left fielder, and so you know I liked the uniform, the you know the Red Sox and the nice white uniforms that they wore, and so I, you know, when we moved to Buffalo, I be, I still followed the Red Sox. Moved to Phoenix, followed the Red Sox. They used to spring train out in Scottsdale, and used to when I got in high school, I'd go into a lot of spring training games when I had time, and always tried to see the Red Sox play. But then you know then I had some players play for them, like Mitch Moreland, Jonathan Papelbon, and and uh, so if, if but no, people always ask me, do I watch a lot of Major League Baseball games? I really don't, uh, unless I know, you know, it's a, like we got 29 players from the Cape Cod League in my nine years in the big leagues, and if I know somebody's going to be playing at night and I got time, I'll watch and see how they're doing. A lot of Mississippi State, Georgia players, uh, had some Georgia, I think six or seven Georgia Southern players ended up in the big leagues. So basically I, I don't identify with teams as much as I did with the Red Sox. I basically – root for players that I've coached and been around. You know, Charlie's a big Yankees fan. He probably just fell in his book. Well, no. When Buck Showall was manager of the Yankees, I was pulling for Buck. You know, I got to pull for the Mets. Well, you know, the, the strike deprived him of a world championship. And so I'm hoping that they can get their act together and we get some guys. Hey, the one thing I think you could argue is a positive for some of our guys right now in these minor league camps is they're at least going. And so, you know, some of these guys have got a chance to push up uh, because, look, Jake Mangum, Cole Gordon, those guys are getting to play. The other guys are 
It's just not the same when you're trying to work out in camps and when you're playing games, I don't think. I called Jake Magum yesterday on his birthday, and uh, he's in spring training, and he was going to practice. I said, you see Buck Showalter yet? He said, yeah. We ran into each other. He got Buck's out there because he has nothing else to do. And uh, he said, I ran into him. He knew who I was. Who I, was. I knew who he was, but he was heading in one direction. I said, well, stay with Buck now. He's a Mississippi State guy, and you're a Mississippi State guy. And we got a lot of... Yeah, a lot of our guys there. JT Ginn's there, and uh, and who else? Uh, Cole Gordon. Cole Gordon's out there. Big old Cole, and it seemed like there was somebody. Oh uh, no, I guess that might be it, huh? Well, and you know, if you go down there, if we can get uh, get the camps back open, Tanner Allen with the Marlins, our friend Marcus mm-hmm. Timms, who you know is the hitting yeah, coach yeah. for the Marlins yeah, now, yeah. and so a uh, good group. And you know, his hitting coach, if he starts out in high A this year, which he might. Matt Snyder that played at Ole Miss. Remember Matt? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's the hitting coach in high A for the Marlins. I actually ran into Tanner's dad last night. He was at the ballpark. What? Tanner's dad and Brad Cumbus's dad. Talked to those guys for a while. and Yeah. Well, it's, we had a great crowd. Great crowd last night. Had good good support in Ed Tulane and good support in Pearl. You know. Hey, but, uh, I, that makes me think of something I did want to ask you. You start to go back through the books. We played New Orleans a bunch. Never yeah. played Tulane, really. Well, it just happened to work out. Ron Maestri was a good friend of mine, Tom Schwarner, and we just had home at home, and I don't think we were able to work it out. We did play Tulane, I think, in the Superdome. We had three or four years. We went down there for that Superdome Classic and, uh, you know, Mississippi against Louisiana schools. And so, yeah, we played Tulane. I think the last time we actually played Tulane on the field was 1980. And so we just, uh, you know, Joe Brockoff was a friend of mine, Rick Jones was a friend of mine, but it just didn't seem to work out for us. To, we didn't want to have to go to New Orleans every year. I mean, not that I have anything against New Orleans, but, you know, we did basically went to New Orleans every other year, played, played the privateers out by the water. If you had played Tulane, do you think they would have had – Decent umpires in the field that haven't been sitting in the stands uh, drinking. <laughs> they have had questionable umpires in New Orleans. Uh, we'll not get into that. It's like going to Hawaii three times, and every time I get out there and, and introduce myself to the umpires at home plate, they all have Hawaiian luau shirts on. I said, I think we're on the road. <laughs> hey, appreciate it. Look all forward right. to seeing you today. Okay, boys. That's Coach Ron Polk. Mississippi State and Texas Tech later this afternoon at 3 o'clock, game two of this uh, midweek two-game set. And that conversation brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can possibly want. And you can get them at all the locations at Georgia Blue. On the blue plate on Fridays, but that Bayou cream sauce on the fried catfish on the menu is one of the best things that they have on their entree menu. And so go by and check them out at all the locations at Georgia Blue. Charlie and I will be back with a final word. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in Biloxi. As State getting set for game two against Texas Tech at 3 o'clock later today. Move that game up to three today. Going to try to get it in, and so hopefully we can get in that second game against Texas Tech. And great to talk with Coach Ron Polk. Did you know I did his yard when I was a kid? Did you really? Yeah, it was, uh, and he used to have a couple of rules. Uh, rule number one, he was very proud of the fact that he never had watered his yard ever. It had never been no sprinklers, no nothing. That's back before – Fancy irrigation, right? But he was very proud 
and so he wanted it to never be watered. So the thing was, I went over there like, I'm going to impress this guy. We're going to have like yard of the month stuff. And he wanted nothing to do with that. His second rule was mow it and rake the leaves only so often that the neighbors don't complain. He wanted the <laughs> bare minimum. And, and in doing this, I probably did that four years or so. And in doing it, I saw him at his house one time. You know, he's very proud that he does not cook. And when you when he takes you through his house, he will open up the, the oven and show you that the, the packaging, the paper, is still in there, that he has never cooked. And so, he, yeah. You could, I used to, like, peek in the windows, you know, try to see between, and, like, in the bedrooms, there were just boxes of baseball <laughs> playbook. <laughs> that was all he had. But, yeah. But, yeah, just enough so the neighbors don't complain. <laughs> Is that what made you uh, somewhat lackadaisical with your yard work? I think somewhat lackadaisical would almost be like an aspirational goal for me in yard work. <laughs> I don't do that. Hey, you know what you could use if you want to do some really big-time yard work? Our good friends at Tracks Plus. You know, I do have some stuff that I would like to have just ground into pulp and scattered, and I've watched some of those machines of nightmares that they have. I mean, it looks like they could just take, they could clear a path through a forest in in like an hour. I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I just want to get in one of those and just drive. Just point me one direction. I'm going to run over everything in that direction. Now, you know, they trust me with a skid steer. Uh, but I think after I turn the donut in that, I'm probably not getting on a mulcher or anything like that. <laughs> no, I had I was talking to Daniel Bounds. He's like, hey, we need to get Charlie over on an excavator. I was like, I don't know if you want to do that or not. They've got the Saney excavators. They've got the Barco equipment with the mulchers. And, of course, Massey Ferguson now at three other four locations, Hickory, Mississippi, Starville, Columbus, Summit, Mississippi, and Alexandria, Louisiana, their sales force, great customer service guys, Daniel Bounds and Fred Fulton over in Columbus, Ken Crosby down in Hickory, and Gresh Howell and Summit and Hoot Weems over in Alexandria, Louisiana. Just do a great job with that great Demi Seamoff header of mulching heads that you can put on that Barco equipment. But, man, just can't go wrong with the customer service and that great equipment at Trax Plus. Charlie, is it bad to say – like last night, I was walking out of the ballpark, and I looked at somebody, and I was like, all right, now we need to rain out. No, what was the old thing, spawn insane and pray for rain in yeah. the pitching rotation? Um, I know, I know, I know. We need to win today. We need to win this second game. But you do have a three-game series coming up, and Texas Tech is a really good team, and it's, it's almost like, hey, we won the one matchup you had with them. I mean, I hate to say it like that. That's probably that's bad on my part. I apologize. I've talked myself out of that thought. Well, look, right now you still got a lot of questions about your staff, and so there's kind of two schools of thought, right? One is you saw yesterday was big for Parker Stinnett, you have to think. Like, if, if he goes on and has a great year, has a really good year coming in, then all of a sudden you can point back to that game and say, boy, that was a turning point for him. And so then the question is, do you get some other turning points Texas Tech's a good baseball team. That's second baseman Young. He's really good. Um, he knows he's really good. He likes to tell you he's really good. Uh, the pitcher, Hampton, was pretty good. He liked to tell you he, he was, was pretty good. Hey, they like to beat their chest a little bit until that nine-run fourth inning. I'll say, you know, with, with Hampton, so Hampton is flexing at the dugout, you know, kind of posing for everybody. And then you go and you look. So he records no outs in the fourth. 
is responsible for four of Mississippi State's first nine runs, all of them earned. So it was kind of funny as he was coming back to the dugout, all the people wanting to stand up and flex for him. I'm just, man, just shut up and get the dugout, right? Yeah, with all the YouTube videos of kids coming up now and posing for home runs and waving at people that are pitching, it's, uh, I tell you what, uh, sometimes it's better just to be quiet and play the game. Hey, uh, we're going to be back at home this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's supposed to be cold this weekend. It's a bundle up. And, of course, if you're coming to town, check out startwell.org, Mississippi's college town. It'll show you where to shop, where to eat, where to stay, local deals, anything going on this weekend in Startwell. And, of course, the three-game series with Princeton this weekend. And so our good friends at startwell.org. I can't wait to see that baseball park that they're building. I've never understood, Bart, the economic impact of youth baseball. You're you're in that age now oh, where you're yeah. seeing it. You go to a town, there's 500 extra kids in town in a weekend, and the next thing that does is bring two two adults and a brother and a sister. They're doing a lot right in Startville right now. Yeah, they really are. Great restaurants. I mean, that's the thing. It's just great restaurants, some great additions to town right now with some of those restaurants. And that's the great thing about having you know, Startville and – Mississippi State together. We talked about the Grant Library. I mean, you have all kind of art shows, the Lyceum Series at the Bettersworth Auditorium. So, so many great things to do in Startwell. So, go to startwell.org and kind of walk your way through and plan out your trip the next time you come to Mississippi's College Town. And once again, thanks to our great friends at the CVB and uh, then the partnership folks just do a great job of kind of marrying downtown to the university. Charlie, Enjoyed it as always. We'll be back for our deep dig show tomorrow where we'll kind of dig into Princeton for the three-game series, and then we'll be back on Sunday Coffee as well. Baseball season, four shows a week. It's been a lot of fun. Hopefully we can get this thing going, and hopefully last night I offensively got that nine-run jolt in the fourth inning. Parker Stinnett, a good start on the mound, and hopefully that's a, a game that's going to get us going. Uh, I don't want to say I predict it will be. That'd be like jinx of things. I hope that it will be. It sure was fun last night. Maybe we can do it again. No doubt. Hey, thanks to our great sponsors. Of course, Farm Bureau Go with the home team. We're in the Farm Bureau Studios, the roving Farm Bureau Studios here in Margaritaville in Biloxi. Tracks Plus, Country Pleasing Sausage, Heartland Catfish, Starkville, Mississippi's College Town, and, of course, our good friends at Bank First, a growing bank throughout Mississippi and Alabama. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.